0: How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Grindhouse Podcast with Dave and my new co-host, at least for this final wrap around the this <laughs> old thing we call podcasting. Miss Ophelia, how are you tonight? I am here. You are here. <laughs> I've roped you in for it because now you live here, and I can just ask you to be my co-host anytime you want to be. Indeed. Now, for you sad son of a bitches that have been... So great about being patient with me and waiting for me to do these. What what was once a Monday night show, actually, back back in the day, this was a Monday morning show, right? Which has slowly slowly crept into be a Tuesday night show,
1: which has then slowly crept into when do I have a free hour
0: to which b- is recorded l- limited limited. <laughs> um, as you guys know, I'm in the middle of prepping a new series. I'll be shooting in the new year. And it's uh, consuming most of my time, but not so much time that I can't join you guys once again all across the globe to celebrate all things film here on the Grand House Podcast. And you guys don't want to hear me ramble on about that, about how busy my schedule is. What you want to hear is the result of the finals of the much maligned witch tournament. You know, I think it's ironic that we did it on witches because the number 13 which we just experienced as a Friday the Thirteenth um, is often associated with witchcraft, and which, especially in movies like Hokie hot Hall and *Halloween*, scary movies, right? And what else is thirteen associated with?
1: A wedding anniversary.
0: <laughs> well, but also bad luck. Which, oops. oops. <laughs> um, Sorry. Which has been which has bef- befallen this this tournament a little bit, but fear not, we have a winner. Through hook or crook, even though a couple of the days Instagram decided just to not allow stories to work, but the winner, by a pretty decent margin of 62 to 48, The Craft has been voted on by you, our loyal listeners, as the greatest witch movie of all time. The supreme witch, if you will. I'm not surprised. Why not? What, what what made you when you first saw the bracket layout? Did you like? Did you have an idea of what film you thought might make it to the finals?
1: I just think about. I just think that that film is probably one of the most recognizable within that genre. Uh huh. Like, yeah, you know, the people, other people probably would argue that The Witch was probably going to be a hot contender. But like, honestly, I did I just didn't like that film. It's not for me. Um.
0: Oops! This is what happens when Dave does not take his phone and put it on silent. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, that's that's just the one that I I envisioned to be the winner at least like in the very semifinals.
0: Well, I think I think that when because of the very definition of this competition was what is the best witch movie, and while cinematically the witch might be a better movie, I mean I, I don't I don't even think that's arguable. It's, it is a structurally it is a near perfect film it's amazing um but it's slow and it puts a lot of emphasis more on historical accuracy and creating tone and theme and there's really frankly not that much witchcraft to be found in it you know there's a little bit at the beginning to set up the plot and there's a a pretty amazing ending but beyond that what you get is it's essentially a period drama in a lot of ways now there are many people who might believe that that is, in fact, the best way to showcase witchcraft and, and the history of witchcraft. And, you know, it, it is the runner up. But with the craft, I think you get more or certainly you get a movie that focuses more on like neo-paganism and, right. and contemporary Wicca, which is in many ways finding a resurgence i mean there are articles after articles that talk about how more and more like esoteric and occultic beliefs are starting to make a comeback within um you know at least in america within young people in particular and so i think that a movie like the craft taps into that sentiment that sort of thing that's in the zeitgeist but it also taps into um you know, like a coming of age story. It's, it's, it's many people have felt like outsiders. Many people have felt like they didn't, you know, they were bullied or, or they, they found a group only to be betrayed by said group. You know, you grew up in like the metal scene in, in Brisbane. I'm sure you experienced plenty of like infighting within the scene and cattiness, things of that nature that, you know, the movie touches upon.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's not even like within scenes. It's just within, being a teenager, like.
0: exactly. No matter what you're seeing, right. Plus, it had an amazing
1: cast, Pretty good soundtrack,
0: killer soundtrack, just cool visuals. Um, so much so that they decided it was a good idea for this Halloween. They were wrong. To, to soft remake slash, uh, reboot the Craft franchise.
1: Look. I think I've said it on this podcast before. I feel a certain type of way about remakes. Right? I can't. I watched the trailer and I'm like, this looks like Twilight.
0: It was rough. It was rough. There's
1: fucking glitter. There's glitter. They glitter.
0: Well, not only that, it was strange because, like, you know, if this movie, if the, if the Craft remake had been done more closer to the time of Twilight, I could. I wouldn't like it any more than I Mm. I liked this one. But I would understand what what they were trying to capitalize on. Right. But it feels like we're so far removed from that. Yeah. It feels like they... I mean, again, in fairness, I haven't watched the movie. I have heard feedback from friends that I trust. Our friend Bianca watched it. Mm -hmm. She said it was good about part of the way through and then just took a nosedive. Um, The trailer didn't do anything to excite me about watching the film. If
1: anything, it was a deterrent and the thing that bothers me about that is, we all know they put the best shit in trailers. Oh, 100%. So, if you think if that is what that the best that that movie has to offer, get wrecked, get in the bin. Don't want to know ya. Like see ya.
0: Plus, there is a way to redo the craft, right? Or not redo it. There's a way to do a sequel to the craft. Yeah. Like um okay, so you as 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 those who who listen to this podcast may know, are a um, at very minimum an inspiring writer, and uh, you constantly pitch me ideas of of <laughs> stories that might exist or um, stories that you could write. It's you have daily. A, you, you pretty much I have um, a
1: lot of folders on my computer. <laughs>
0: yeah, there's a lot of ideas that you have. So if if I said to you, if I'm running a studio, I'm running a Studios, right, and I contract you and I say, pitch me. A either a reboot slash remake or a sequel to the craft. What do you have?
1: Probably nothing like what it was it Blumhouse that did it.
0: I think it, it was, was Blumhouse,
1: yeah. yeah. Yeah, nothing says class like Blumhouse straight to streaming service. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nothing like that for me. It felt like it felt like the the writers leaned over to the writers of Light as a Feather and said, hey, man, can I copy your work? And they were like, yeah, cool, dude. Just don't make it look like you copied.
0: Hey, in so. fairness, <laughs> I heard the season two of Light as a Feather was awesome.
1: Hey, I'm not saying Light of a Feather was bad. Light, Light off a feather. I'm like, go Light as a Feather was bad. I'm just saying that this looks like a tacky knockoff.
0: Yeah. You know what? Um, you liked the Scream series, right? Yeah. It, it. I think it's smart and hilarious. It feels like... It was trying to fit in with, like, the Scream series or Light as a Feather. Sabrina. Sabrina. Like, though it mm-hmm. felt like it was trying to fit. And it should have, I guess, because the original kind of fit into those same movies of the time. But it, it it reminds me a little bit of, like, the Rocky Horror Picture Show TV movie. Right. Like, it just doesn't work. For whatever reason, you don't buy that it works.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, there's a lot of other things you could you could do. I mean, you know, you had as an example, the end of the craft, we all know Nancy's like in an insane asylum. Fuck she gets out let's say she gets out and somehow wreaks havoc on all these characters again. Who knows? You could make it that, um you know, Sarah's got a daughter now and, and she's a witch and like she's mm. trying to you know coach her through adolescence and and having these powers and all that sort of stuff like there's a myriad of things you could have done but this like i haven't watched it so i mean i might be way way off but
0: we're doing what every film blog blog (laughs) podcast does (laughs) hate
1: myself we have
0: an uneducated (laughs) opinion on a movie we're we're we're, this is what we Mm. do for a living
1: yeah, I mean, I mean, what can you do? I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit down and watch a movie that I just don't think looks good,
0: right? Like, I'm well, not. you know, and the other thing is, um, those actors like Bach, they don't stop being great actors, and they were great actors. Yeah. I think that's one thing that is missing yes. from a lot of the current crop of films that try. Not all of them, certainly. I'm sure there'll be 50 listeners who will tell me some movie that I'm missing, but like. It feels like a lot of the movies that are trying to recreate something. Like we watched, for example, Rob Zombie's Halloween. Right. And his Laurie Strode was not a strong actress. Not. And, you know, you can do a teen movie, but the the classic ones, the ones that really last, are filled with great actors. Yeah. You know, we yeah. watched Dazed and Confused the other day. And it's like, <laughs> top to bottom is these amazing talented actors. They didn't just cast good-looking young people. They cast they cast really strong performances. I
1: thought that you were going to bring up that kid that does not know what to do with his hands. What's his name?
0: Wiley, Riggins, who Wiley Wiggins. Who is an Austin, Texas icon.
1: Yeah, you know why he's an icon cuz he holds the fucking world record for the amount of times so he could touch your face in an hour and a half.
0: Okay, he
1: he He's probably dead from COVID now
0: because Oh, no. That's sad. <laughs> We hope you're doing well, Wyatt Wiggins. (laughs) Isn't
1: he? He's like a games programmer now.
0: Yeah, I don't think he did much acting. He did a little bit of acting.
1: Hopefully, he's not touching his face. But in
0: fairness to him, he wasn't a great actor. But but he was great in that role. Even the touching the face thing is so awkward and weird. Like, do you like your you and your sister are pretty close in age, so you may not have quite picked up on it in the same way that I do. But I have a sister who's 14 years younger than me. Yeah. So. As an adult who steps back, I can appreciate all the awkward phases that we go to. That we that when you're a kid, you don't notice it, and even if you have siblings that are two or three years within your age range, you still might not notice it because you're going through it, right? So, from an authenticity standpoint, I felt like the character that Whitey Wiggins played in *Dazing Fuse was appropriately awkward for you know a freshman.
1: Yeah, no one else is appropriately awkward. Doing a drinking game for every time he touches his face. Do not do that. You would die. You get very sick.
0: You will. It's you will a good have time. to have the hospital on speed dial. Yeah, but if I, you
1: can find your phone,
0: absolutely. <laughs> but like, I, I feel like I feel like that's the thing that was missing in this craft movie, or at least from the trailer, and other films like Black Christmas and some other movies. Like they they don't have the kind of caliber of actor that movies from the 90s that they're trying to reboot, or even the 80s for that. And look, plenty of slasher films had terrible, terrible acting, but a lot of them had really good acting. And you have to replicate that part. It's not just young, hot people and a trope mm-hmm. and a the framework of a story that you've seen a million times and let's run with it. It's, yeah. it's got to be a little bit more developed than that.
1: I think film is going the same way that music started to go in late, you know, in the sort of mid two thousands. Is that new metal? No. <laughs> is that it's it's more about quantity and less about quality. So they're just pumping all these movies out. You know, they're not giving them amazing budgets unless they're DC or Marvel, um, and it's like. This person's too expensive. We can't afford them. This person's cheap enough. Like they'll fit into the budget. They're alright. Like it's it's like you can't tell me that someone's gone and said yes. You are the best person for this job.
0: Right, one hundred percent. So you know one of the one of the ways that I thought that they could have redone the craft or um, contri- con- uh, continue the story or tell a story within that world was to age it out of high school. Yeah. Like, set it in, I think it was set in, yeah, it was set in LA originally. Mm-hmm. Keep it in LA, but, like, move it towards people in their 20s. Make it make it a little bit more relevant to people who are, you know, at, like, you've told that story about right. the coming of age in high school. So let's talk about the story that, that someone might experience. You know, going through that phase when you're, like, in your late 20s, you know, when you're still trying to, like, you've moved past the age of being, um in college and now you're you're saddled with crippling debt and you're trying to find your world and your your way in the workforce and rent is incredibly you know expensive in los angeles and there's this pressure and obligation and even an urge to like be part of a social scene mm-hmm. but there are some interesting stories that you could introduce the idea of wicca within yeah that are different and even if you want to hit a lot of the same beats like you know, the Skeet urek character who's sort of like the douchebaggy guy and um, the sort of camaraderie around women. Like you could still tell that right. story and you don't have to set it in high school. You could set it in 10 years down the line. Yeah. You know, and and explore a lot of those themes and you can leave that original story as is and just pick up with a different group of women who practice forms of witchcraft and you could take it in any number of different directions.
1: Right, exactly. I mean, you could even, I don't know, make it however many years down the track, someone gets their hand on a copy of the craft. That,
0: yeah, they're, they're You know, uh,
1: their copy of the book or, or whatever other books that they had and they start practicing or whatever. Like, there's so many other directions you could have gone. From what it looks like, it's sort of like a reimagining... <laughs> But with but someone's, like, buffed the edge off. Sure, yeah. Like, they've tried to make it, like... I've noticed that with, like, a lot of, like, teen dramas now these days, with the exception of a few, is that they, they get rid of that grittiness. Like, I don't think in this new... And, again, I might be wrong, but you're probably not going to see a date rapist probably not going to see a guy bashing his wife or girlfriend or whatever. Like, you're probably not going to see a lot of that stuff. Like, sure. they tend to be shying away from that now.
0: When you, and you could make the argument that you've seen it enough, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a tricky thing because, on the one hand, you don't want to be exploitative about it, right? I think um, – were, were you ever much of a comic book fan? Uh, probably not the comic books you read. Probably not. <laughs> so there, there came to be this term within the comic book world – Called girlfriend in the refrigerator. Have you heard that term before? I have not, which is
1: weird because I used to read a lot of Johnny the Homicide Maniac, and you, you'd think that would be a plot line. You would but... <laughs> think
0: so, but it's not. So, girlfriend, girlfriend in the refrigerator was something that um, Girl Simon, a writer, female writer, coined, because in the pages of Green Lantern, they introduced a new Green Lantern, right? Mm-hmm. And this Green Lantern had this very sassy, confident girlfriend. And she was kind of there to help him along. And when the plot called for it, a bad guy, not even a cool bad guy to be honest, but like a bad guy shoves her, kills her off screen. And when Green Lantern walks in, his girlfriend has literally been shoved in a very contorted, obviously dead manner in the refrigerator. And you see like silhouette of her, right? And it came to stand for this... Role that women played in comic books for the male character, which is they only exist to push forward the the man's story, right? I think that um, sexual assault and rape and date rape and things of that nature were, for a long time in movies, especially in horror movies, used as a catalyst to propel a female character forward.
1: Okay, yeah, I see that. You know,
0: and um, I'm sure at the time, the filmmakers felt like they were addressing... A very real, a very scary, we've talked about it ad nauseum, mm-hmm. horror movies, the best ones reflect the anxieties of the time. And so I'm sure that they were they were trying to tap into that and they were trying to use a real life fear and, and maybe use it to actually empower, right? Right. That I spit on your graves and things of that nature. Ugh. But I could certainly hear the argument of, do you need to keep showing it? Does it does it become gratuitous? Um, but on the flip side, does not showing it sort of ignore a real life thing? Do right. you do you dull the edges as you said? Like I, like from your perspective, what? I mean, I, does it? I mean, what is your perspective? I guess on on just the the um, on showing that kind of content in films and using it as a plot device.
1: Well, I think when you it's hard because like it's like you when you did like Saving Zoe Uh you had trouble getting that movie out yeah Um, but that's real world issues that really happen to young people Um, and it's it's almost like people just don't want to touch it unless it's I spit on your grave type content sure yeah if it's too real we don't because that's I mean obviously they're like like I spit on your grave and stuff that stuff does happen but it's not going to be as common as, like, the guy in high school. Like, Sure, Like, things like that do happen really often. That's probably too real. Because when you make it seem, you know, crazy and outlandish, like, that's just, that's a movie. That's not, you know, whatever. But when it's, like, the real, like, it's the guy that lives next door to you. It's your friend. It's the guy you go to school with. Things like that. It seems too real and people
0: just probably don't want to touch it. It's also hard because it's not a commercially viable genre, no. Like, like, if, if within the context of horror, to use a rape, for example, to mm. set up a lot of brutal murders, even under the guise of the female protagonist mm-hmm. getting revenge, that's within the construct of a genre that you can easily market and sell. And you could make, certainly make the argument that within that context, because it is a commodity, that the impact of the sexual assault mm. holds less real world weight. Right. Whereas in a movie like Saving Zoe, for example, for those of you who haven't seen that movie, it's a teen drama that that sort of centers around not only loss, but also human trafficking mm-hmm. to some degree. I mean, it's not the forefront of the story per se, but it is a portion of the story. And it's a, you know, it's not a teen romance. It's not a teen coming of age. It's not a horror movie. It just sort of falls in this world that's sadly very real, even in, in its heightenedness. You know, it's not even really a ghost story, although there's elements of that involved in yeah. it. And so I think from that perspective, it it had a hard time finding a home. I mean, there's there's probably some behind the scenes that factored into that as well. Yeah. In terms of the production company that made it, but and their ability to know what they had and know what to, to do to with it. it. Right. But um, still, it, it, it begs the question, because like, in, in the original craft, Skeet Urk's character does try to sexually assault, um, it's not Nancy, is it? It's, uh...
1: It's, um, Sarah.
0: Sarah, Corbentini. right? Yeah, in terms to forces himself upon her. Yeah. And then, and then he's killed by Nancy. Right. But it's, um, it's a, it's a moment in the film. It's not a, it's not what the film is about. Right. You know, they use it as a device. So, you're right. I mean, look, I... I don't know which way I fall on that fence. I, I think it's really dependent on... I don't think you should scrub that stuff out of... I don't think you should scrub reality out of film. No. No matter how traumatic mm-hmm. it may be. If it's traumatic to you, you probably don't want to watch it. Um, but there are other people who may get something beneficial from that. Right. At the same time, I think as filmmakers, it's uh, it's important to tell truths in a way that is is to... Uh, give to give meaning and and to explore and not to exploit i think it's a pretty fine line Mm
1: -hmm. it's like when you get this is like this is like the big issue that i had with that netflix series 13 reasons why Mm -hmm. is because they like essentially like that series is located around like uh, located that series centered. is centered around teen suicide and all that sort of stuff, but it's romanticized almost to a degree. Like, I, I sat down and watched one episode, but I can't fucking watch this. I think it was like two, like two episodes, think I sat through, and I was like, no.
0: It's And it's crazy because so many young people of that age really deeply related to it. Yeah. And so it begs the question, is it romanticizing it for the sake of romanticizing it? Or is it romanticizing it because it's told from the viewpoint of a generation that it that does romanticize it?
1: Well, I think it's re- it's romanticizing in a negative way because when you're looking at it, it's like because I mean I know you know if if, if um you or any of our like, listeners have ever dealt with like those sorts of like thoughts and stuff like that, but you know you do think like oh you know when when I'm gone they'll miss me they're going to sure. miss me and it's like. It's almost like you get your, you they get their comeuppance because you're you're gone, which is what that series makes it look like. You know, sure. it's because it, that's and that's just not it's not that black and white. That's not the reality of stuff. So, but,
0: but I do think that is a real feeling that people experience. I think yeah. when you live in a society that strips you of the things that make you feel worthwhile on a deep soul level, and you live in a world. That de-emphasizes personal growth mm-hmm. in a meaningful way because a broken down person is a person who probably spends a lot to refill that hole in their yeah. heart. So, uh, you know, I know that's a controversial series, and I guess it's a little bit in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. But it feels a bit like it—it it was a, probably attempting to be the voice of a generation. And that sadly might be the voice of a generation. And if it's uncomfortable, what's what's the next? What's the next steps? Like once you watch it and you feel uncomfortable, and it makes you feel uneasy, and it makes you feel even very angry, even like what are the next steps? You know, great art can make you motivate you and move you to do something different. Right. The good commerce makes you tune in for more. Right. And so I, I don't know where that lies. But I do think that that line, that line that is a little... And I'm not saying the, the original craft necessarily wrote that line. But I do think that it's something that's missing in a lot of these remakes. Mm. Is that is that um, that line where you're not quite sure how much of this is exploiting and romanticizing yeah. troubled youth. And how much of it is just using their voice. Like, do you remember a long time ago when Cullabine happened? Mm-hmm. There was an interview with Meredith Manson where they yes. asked him what he would say to the parents, or to the kids. Yeah. If he had a chance, they you know, they weren't fans of his music or nothing like that, but if he had a chance to sit with them and talk with them, what he would say to them, and his response was, nothing, I'd listen.
1: Yeah, so no one else did.
0: And I think that there's a way to make these kind of even remakes, Yeah. there's a way to make these films and do so in a manner that essentially forces the viewer to sit and listen to the voice of a generation that you maybe have outgrown the ability to understand or relate to. That's true. Speaking of remakes, we mentioned at the top of the show that uh, it was most recently Friday the 13th. And I saw online a lot of people, you know, everyone celebrates Friday the 13th and does polls on which is your favorite Friday the 13th. But I, I found that um, a lot of people were sort of clamoring for another one. Right. And I don't get it. He's like, why? Yeah. And again, <laughs> you know, again, I'm sure there's a way to do it. Um, I don't need Jason Voorhees on screen every three to five years. Ad nauseum, forever, in infinite. Like, I, I don't need that. There's like... 13 movies or something like that? Yeah, T- 10 see, here's movies? the thing. <laughs> How many movies are there? Cause I there's, think
1: there's 13, isn't there?
0: Well, there's. let's see. Jason Takes Manhattan was 8. I think Jason Goes to Hell was 9, maybe? And then Jason X was 10, which would make sense. And then if you count uh, Freddy versus Jason, let's say that's 11... And then the remake makes 12. So, it's okay. 12. Okay, so there's 12. All right, you know what? In fairness. One more. One more. Give That's us one it. More. Figure it out your lawsuit, make one more, and then put the fucking thing to bed. Because, frankly speaking, it has outlived its welcome a long time ago.
1: But see, the problem is, like, it didn't have to outlive its welcome. The reason it's outlived its welcome is because they made fucking trash and put it in there. We don't need. Jason goes to fucking space. What? Okay. Like. I think I was watching a. Um, they did like a, a breakdown of the Friday the 13th movies. Who did that one?
0: Um, I don't. I mean, yeah, I saw. We, we I watched remember. it
1: recently, right? And it was like. I remember there being so much like meddling with the script, and then they had to like rush to make one, a movie like when they weren't planning on making one, and I can't. I can't remember what it was. They were rushing to get it out because something else was coming out.
0: Well, a lot of a lot of times these films get like Spider-Man for example. Mm-hmm. The reason why they're constantly putting out Spider-Man films because if they don't put a Spider-Man film out every few years, the rights revert back to Marvel yes. fully. Yes. So Sony always has to put out a Spider-Man right. movie otherwise they lose the rights. I think that's probably the case with A lot of these franchises, especially the horror franchises,
1: because Friday Thirteenth is owned by two companies. Someone owns a character; someone owns a
0: story. Yeah. So what happened was Horror Inc. was the producers of the Nightmare. uh, Sorry, the Friday Thirteenth series, and they claim the rights of it. The original writer, whose name escapes me at the moment, he wrote the original script. Right. So as the original screenplay artist, uh, he the, the original screenwriter, he would own the rights. To the characters and to the story. Now, where it becomes really gray is that in his original story, Pamela Voorhees is the villain. Right. But Camp Crystal Lake is mentioned. Jason Voorhees is mentioned, and he's actually shown as a child. But the the, yeah. the Jason Voorhees that we've all come to grow and um, fear came in the second movie and the subsequent ones. I mean, his his iconic look didn't even come to the third mm-hmm. movie. So, there's the argument that has taken place, wherein, whereas the original writer is claiming, I want to say his name is Sean Cunningham perhaps, he's claiming, I wrote the story, the whole franchise is based on my script, I own the rights, right. and Horror Inc. is saying, but we've produced, which is owned by the director, we've produced all these mm-hmm. films, therefore we own the rights, and that's what the battle is, and that's why like the video game has been kind oh. of... You know
1: that sucks. That's such a cool game too. It's a
0: super cool game.
1: That's really upsetting. Like
0: it's not as good as it could be because it's held up. That's why we haven't gotten another shitty remake or sequel mm-hmm. to the Friday the Thirteenth. But but again, but even beyond all that stuff, how many times can you tell the story of horny campers getting killed by Jason? Literally, the entire Friday the Thirteenth series is one long bunk go to horny Joe meme.
1: That's favorite it. Me on the except,
0: internet. except that instead of a, a bat that a little dog hits another dog with, it's Jason with a machete. <laughs> it's true. It's and true. Like, You're right. How many times can you tell that story over and over again? Especially because, like, think about when the first few Friday the Thirteenth movies came in, right in the eighties, in the height of like, just say no, that Reagan pur- puritanical sort of right. morality, again,
1: of, like fears of the time.
0: Right. Nowadays. Of the time. Yep. Nowadays, sexuality is viewed much, much differently, and I don't think that people really fear the boogeyman killing them if they engage in sexual activity or smoking weed. weed. I mean, shit. Weed's <laughs> legal here in California. If you guys have listened to this podcast, you know that's to be the case. Um, and in several other states as well. You know, I fucking Oregon just passed a law that made all drugs legal, or maybe not legal, um, uh, not not illegal, I think, is kind of what the, usually the way those laws work.
1: Let's do Friday the 13th, fucking Jason goes to California, motherfucker just gets shot by stoners, like, Seriously, yeah. everybody's carrying.
0: You know, it's like, <laughs> like, Friday the 13th, Jason goes to Manhattan is like a very schlocky story, hmm. but at least it tried to do something kind of unique, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 it gave an iconic moment. Where he he's fighting the boxer on the rooftop and he like yeah. uppercuts his head off. That's great because that's right in the time of Mike Tyson, right? Where who had popularized the uppercut as being so devastating. So to watch Jason in a super wide, right? You're so right.
1: <laughs> uppercut
0: this dude's head off was so, was like it was at least satisfying in a gratuitous manner.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking then as well, thinking about like movies, series, um, and the ones that have been successful. And the only franchises I can think of that have truly been successful are the ones that have had the same actors play the same main characters.
0: Give me an example. Scream. <sighs> but the third one exists.
1: I'd watch it again. I yeah, like it. But it's it. not good. But it's not shit.
0: No, it, it is. Really not. It's
1: not Friday the I... 13th shit. Um... I think it's hilarious.
0: There's nothing rewarding. The scariest part of that film, and I know this has been much said, so I'm not trying to claim originality here, is Courtney Cox's (laughs) bangs. Pretty pretty frightening. Outside of that... (laughs) That movie is, is not good,
1: but it's like you you do get invested in those characters, right? Yes. So like you you look at um.
0: Well, it's like Californication. It's a show that I loved.
1: I know. Okay. You brought it up many times I, on this podcast.
0: I uh, you know, the first season of that show was actually adapted from a, a feature film. Mm. Well, not uh, a feature film script. Originally, the writer planned on making it a film, which feels very indie. And he expanded it to whatever, 10 episodes or whatever it is. And it's a very complete story. And it ends even in the same way that um, The Graduate ends. Right. Freeze framing under a fading smile, right? Perfect ending. Well, the show's a wildly popular success. And now you got to do another one. Well, what do we do? Well, let's reboot. Let's let's set it back. But instead, let's give Hank a crazier Hank character to have to be around, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Third one. Let's take his baby mama out of the photo, out of the picture for the whole season. Let's see what Hank's like when he's virtually on his own. You just start running out of ideas. And then yeah. like by the fifth season of that show, every season after that was a repeat of the second season. Right. Hank was a wackier person now, <laughs> you know? And it just runs out of steam. Yeah. And so I feel like with a lot of these stories, like, okay, in the, in the, in the example of Californication, you grow to love the, that story right. and those characters. And you'll tune in to watch them because you do, because the actors are still great. Mm-hmm. You know, they're still giving great performances. But it's the same thing with the Scream series, like, you love that those characters. But yeah. how many times, like, I thought the fourth one did a pretty admirable job of trying to, like, inject some life into the series.
1: I think it's good, though, because the Scream series is one of those very, very few series that it it does, but it doesn't take itself too seriously. Like, it's kind of poking fun at the slasher genre while trying to maintain an air of seriousness, but it's still kind of silly.
0: Especially the fourth one. (laughs) The fourth one, like, with its cold open of all the stabs, the movie within the movie within the movie...
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I like that series as well. And I mean, if you look at, you know, there's I mean, there's only two of them. There might have been well, I think there's only two of them. The um, I know what You did last summer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like both of those, I thought they were both great movies.
0: Yeah, they're entertaining. Like, now are you yeah. excited about the fifth scream? A little they, bit. They just film They just finished. It was announced that They just finished shooting. I think they shot like in twenty four days or twenty five days yeah. or something like that.
1: And I think they had to stop midway or it was halted because of COVID. I think
0: COVID. Derailed it a little bit, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for that.
0: I. What do you think? I have. I think they have to kill Sydney, like in the opening scene.
1: In the opening scene. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, at what point? Okay, okay, let's look at the Scream series. That or right.
1: She's going to be the killer.
0: I don't know if by this point, like, if they did that for four, it's maybe. Like, ah! But it's like we've already we've got we've we've flirted with that angle so many times that it feels like. You know, if they would have done it, if they if they were going to do it, maybe by the third... But that's why it would be so on brand. I mean, <laughs> but sometimes it's a little bit late to me. Like, for me, I feel like, what's the first one? It's got the iconic Drew Barrymore death. Yeah. You know, in the second movie, you've got Omar Epps in the theater scene mm-hmm. with the crazy scream, the stab yeah. movie fanatics, and, and Jada Pinkett Smith just screaming in the screen Mm -hmm. that beautiful iconic imagery right I don't even remember what the fucking third one was it sucked that bad (laughs) the fourth one it went less for iconic and very tongue in cheek with like the movie within the movie within the movie that sort
1: of it reminds me of um, the Nightmare on Elm Street Uh, what's the one where it's the movie within the movie Uh, New Nightmare New Nightmare yeah
0: Yeah. so I feel like with this movie the only way to open it and if they're gonna upset everyone is I think they need to kill Sydney in the opening scene. And then I think they need to play the movie as straight horror as it can get. I think they've taken the tongue-in-cheekness as far as it can go. I mean, there will still be some meta aspects to it. That's part of the charm of the franchise. But I think they need to go straight dirty horror film.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, I think I said this on, like, another another one of these podcasts. Is that they we need another good slasher film. Not yeah. not a remake, not a reimagining, not none of that fucking bullshit. Just give us a straight up good slasher film. We need it.
0: Well, we just got to figure out an interesting way to do it. Yeah. You know, relevant today. I I I definitely think it can be done. It's just a matter of doing it smartly. Um, if you're not going to kill Sydney, though, you kill Gail. Oh yeah. But I don't see I don't know that it'll quite had the same impact. I really think you got to kill Sydney, and you let Kirby be the star of your series. Everyone loved Kirby. Bring her back, and and have it start with her. Start start fresh. Maybe maybe it's revealed that Courtney Cox, that Gail Weathers, is now the killer. Maybe, maybe it's Gail and Dewey. You know, Gail, her career. They've already flirted with this idea that Gail's past her prime yeah. when she's not covering. You know, uh, the the. What's the town called? Westdale, yeah. West Creek, West? Maybe. Something.
1: Okay. How about this? Gale Weathers, past her prime. Sleepy little town of West.
0: Westboro. R- Westboro. There you go.
1: Is. Everything is all good again. So, to revive her own career, she starts killing people off so she could be the first on the scene. Breaking news Gale Weathers, time reporting. Bang. That's your. That's your plot.
0: Yeah, and you know, in these films, they always have to have a second killer. It's Dewey, maybe, and why? Because he's a simp.
1: He's a fucking simp you, for Gail. He is a stand. For you Gale find Weathers. out
0: that for years, Gail Weather has been beating Dewey behind the scenes. Fuck. <laughs> he's
1: took it Slow- to like even darker place. Yeah,
0: we're going real dark on this. You know, slowly um, gaslighting him and emasculating him and beating him, and he's got Stockholm syndrome. And he's the police chief, so he can cover up her murders and and Westboro has turned into like, I don't know, the murder capital of of the world, you know? And then it's and she kills Sydney, who's come back for something, and and then you start your franchise off that of course you don't reveal that to the end. Right. But I think and it's a whole new batch of young people and and She's trying to live in the... And you know what she can be a representative of? Because all these screen movies are really meta, right? They all kind of tap into some sort of mm. part of the zeitgeist. Gail Weathers can represent that person who wants another fucking Friday the 13th movie for the nth time <laughs> who can't let go of the past. Right. Right? And, it's, and, and Which necessitates these endless, not as good sequels and remakes. Right. I think this is a great idea. If you guys have a, it, I know they finished filming, but if your idea is not as good as the this Grindhouse idea, then you're more than welcome to take it. We'll take our ten percent of the gross of the net of the gross profits, <laughs> and uh, you're welcome.
1: Well, I'm I'm calling it now. That's what I. That's the only thing that I could see happening. I reckon Gail is the new murder Murdered odler, if you will.
0: Now we don't necessarily have mailbags for this podcast. I mean. God knows I'm barely carving out time to even record it, but our our top fan of the show, the MVP of the show, Sammy Sam Blair, Blair. Yep. he <laughs> had a great idea for a topic, which I actually think we should sort of use a sort of a hybrid question slash topic, which is what are some of the favorite, speaking of living in the past, what, what are some of the favorite Grindhouse episodes that we've done? And so, I was thinking about that, and you can certainly chime in some of your favorite episodes as well if you'd like. But um, I have to say that one of my favorite, which actually seems to be one of the most listened to still, was um, I think I called it like "So You Want to Be an Artist" or something. The artist way, the artist way, and it was it was an episode in which myself and our former host Matt talked about living a creative lifestyle, you know, carving out within this commercial world that we live in a little space for you to live as an artist. Not only do I love that episode because I feel like um, it just came out really well and certainly because people are responding to it in such a major way, but also because I felt like it really epitomized so much about what this podcast has been, which is speaking from the perspective of someone whose literal day job is filmmaking. This is what I do for a living. And um, be it with Matt, our former host, or you who is a writer, or uh, Jude who is a director, like all the different guests that we've had in this show in one way or another have contributed to speaking about the artist's life, and uh, and their perspective on how to do it, mm-hmm. and and what it's like, and hopefully that has enlightened people across the world who maybe are interested in what it is like to live and make a living and survive this way.
1: Yeah, I mean maybe I mean we could open up uh, the questions um, on the Grindhouse um, Instagram story and get some questions for that for next week. Yeah, do a whole episode about it.
0: That'd be lovely. I I think would... it's a good idea. I'd love to next week to just do a, a, a full mailbag even yeah you know just ask like just, just spend the whole episode just answering you guys questions. Um, the other episode that I wanted to highlight was one that I did recently. I did a two parter. Well, it's kind of almost existed in three parts. So you want to be a filmmaker one and two that yes. I did with Jude mm-hmm. for the very same reasons. I felt like it as as the artist life or the artist way because. We talked about we removed some of the shine and the glamour and the glitz yep. of what people think filmmaking filmmaking is, and again we sort of told stories from the trenches, you yep. know, and um, and you've been in the trenches yes, with so us. Yes, I'm feeling
1: that this week. You know,
0: <laughs> yeah, you you uh, you helped me schedule a script mm-hmm. for the first time. How was that? How was the, that? I'm I'm interested, like from your perspective as a writer, someone who's who crafts the story creatively to then take someone's story and to break it down in a clinical manner. Like what was that like for you?
1: Um, Tedious, (laughs) but it also gave me a lot of insight into my writing and how I write um, scripts. So um, for those of you that don't know what's involved in like scheduling, basically you have to break down every single scene into how many part pages it is, whether it's day or night, where it is, who's in it, what props you need, what wardrobe you need, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and it's tedious. takes a long time. Yeah. Um, days. So, literally days. Literally days. So I think for me doing this latest one, which was uh, how many pages? 124 pages.
0: Something like that. Took
1: me two uh, two days.
0: And that's because I did a third of it first. Yeah. <laughs> so. well, it wasn't a
1: third of it. You did 15 pages.
0: I was like 20 pages or so. No, 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 no. Everyone knows the first 15 <laughs> pages are the hardest. Um, so they count double.
1: But, you know, it, it it makes you think about a lot of aspects of filmmaking. And like I've done a couple of films before. Um, but it's like, you know, I was thinking, oh there's so many nights there's a lot of nights in here and then if there's this many nights and we've got to pay people overtime we can't do all these overnights I can't have 20 overnights like this is insane like oh we're going to have to do day for night oh we're going to have to you know it's, it's just all those little things you don't think about or it's like oh on this one page like while you're thinking in your mind oh yes I'll just change all these scenes but you've got like eight scenes in one page Yeah. like you've got to do eight Different scenes that take up like what, fucking how many minutes are in a page?
0: Uh, the old rule of thumb is sort of a, a minute a page, yeah. A minute of screen minute. time for yeah. a page,
1: right? So you got eight scenes in a minute that you, yeah, and they're all tiny little scenes. If you've got scenes that like ones at a train station, ones on on the train, ones in a house, ones in a barn, ones in a shop, like and that's and you've got to get all those scenes to make up a minute. Of film like that's absolutely insane.
0: Yeah, that's it's a crazy. Lot. I, now now for me so I've always I've always felt like for me that learning the logistical aspect of filmmaking is only makes you more creative. Right. And I actually recommend it to most people who want to get into who want to be directors or who want to be writers or who want to be you know creative producers Mm -hmm. like you should know how the sausage so to speak the vegan sausage (laughs)
1: sausage is made how it's made (laughs) and if you don't because
0: because otherwise i mean look i don't want to stifle anyone's creativity Mm. but i feel like reality is going to hit you over the head Mm -hmm. it's gonna you're gonna go bonk to creative gel one way or another
1: definitely and Um. either
0: you do it or the person or someone else does it who may not have your best, your story's best interest right. at heart.
1: And and it makes you think a lot about the way that you write things. Obviously, I can't talk about what script this is, um, but I remember I was saying to you, like, oh, but this scene's written like this, and then, but they're in this part of the house, but they've said that the house is an apartment, but here they call it a house, but it's got three levels, but there's, like, eight bedrooms. But then, they're but the nights go on for, like, eight or nine pages is this the same night or is this a different night correct like so it's it's things like that 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 make me think about how i write things and
0: by the way all those things may be fine yeah. there may be a vision that the writer has that is very specific that encompasses all those things it may even be a stylistic choice to have like there's plenty of movies that you've seen that it's like endless night
1: they only play at night right but when you're if i'm reading that I need to understand that. Because Mm -hmm. I remember someone once said to me, you can't assume that the audience is going to know what you mean.
0: Yeah. Did I ever tell you that story in full? No. So I took, um, (laughs) when I was in university, I took a creative writing class because I I initially wanted to be a uh, novelist. Mm -hmm. So my ultimate goal was. And and so I took a creative writing course and I was writing the story. And uh, the first thing I did is like, in my story, this corgi has to get put down.
1: Oh, what story uh, ever?
0: Uh, it was a bad story. I don't know. It was a dark time in my life. Listen, <laughs> listening to a lot of the like cure. A little
1: corgi and,
0: um, And this guy's got to shoot. The dog, he's got to put it down, right? Mm. Kind of old Yeller-esque.
1: Oh, my God. What is wrong with you? And,
0: and I wrote a shotgun. So what I was imagining in my mind was my grandmother's house, which is kind of an older house. Kind of my dad's mm-hmm. family lived sort of on the outskirts of my hometown. Right. Very rural. You know, we had like the, the screen, swinging screen door, mm-hmm. the steps that kind of lead down. Yeah. Like in my grandma's house, when you walked out the back door, it led into a big yard, which mm-hmm. was really like barely contained a field. You know, right. that that then beyond the fence where she had chickens and she had um, my aunt who lived literally next door, had a horse for a little while. And then beyond that, there was uh, a barren cornfield. So just like, you know, dirt, rows and, row and rows of dirt. So, yeah, in my mind, I had this idea of what this all looked like. And, and I was telling this sort of rural story. But I wrote that um, it was a shotgun. On the mantelpiece, right. Introduced a gun in Act One, showed it, used it in Act Three, and I shot this Corgi with this shotgun. I, I didn't do it. The I'm just gonna say did. you
1: didn't. It was no, in I don't.
0: I'm a... <laughs> So my my um, professor, who's from Wyoming, where mm. there's hunting a plenty, was like he read the story. He's like the first thing my question is you don't you don't do you don't use guns do you? I said no, I don't have any idea about guns. He's like a shotgun shoots a spray. Yeah,
1: right. Of, it would obliterate that cold. into He would he into like, leave it a
0: smear. He's yeah. like, you want a rifle. I was like, oh, yeah. copy that. Because I wrote it like a rifle. I just don't know. I don't have the knowledge. Right, exactly. And then there's other elements. And everyone in that class, the same note. First off, I remember very vividly. That was a very horny class. There were people writing all kinds of sex scenes in their stories. I mean, there was like five or six. Women and men. Wham! Wow. This, this horny class. Whole whole class went to horny Joe. <laughs> but
1: sexy jail sexy jail
0: <laughs> but the, the the big key advice that um twister that was my professor he would always say to us is like you won't be in the room when someone right. reads your story to explain it exactly like you either have, it's either on the page or it's not because every time you have to say oh well this is what i meant you you miss the mark
1: exactly you know yeah
0: and the same is, as true for filmmaking. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And just like, th- there was a lot of other, um, it's really hard to explain it without <laughs> talking about it, because I'm not allowed to. There was just like other scenes where I think I, I even came to you and I said, does this make sense, like, to you? And then we had to read back through a page and go, oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. we have to do this or whatever. It's because they weren't being... Terribly descriptive, I guess. Yeah. Um. So it's it, it made me realize like, how descriptive because you're you're building a picture and like because when someone reads your script, they're gonna they're gonna watch the movie in their mind as they're reading it, right? right?
0: And, and simultaneously, when you write your script, I'm sure you're gonna test this. You're watching the movie in your yeah, mind. That's right. The problem is what happens on the page between your mind and the person who reads it's mind mm-hmm. is where things can get lost in translation.
1: Yeah, but that's why you have to be as descriptive as possible. Like now before. When you said to me, there was a corgi, and I had to put it down. The first thing I thought of was in an inner city veterinary clinic. Right. So that's the first thing I thought of when that was mentioned to me. But you were thinking, oh, this is in my backyard with the friggin' rifle. Right. I I I literally
0: think I had like two pages of description of the bullet wound. And I don't know. I was a dark time.
1: That's fucked, man.
0: I don't write that stuff now. Anywho, you didn't
1: write anything now? That's a good point. <laughs> you don't even write this podcast. That's You're right. Like not just
0: off the cuff, man. Do um, it live. So, generally speaking, though, I think that it's good to get that sort of logistical experience. Not to, not to um, put too much of a you know damper on your creativity, mm. but to open up your, you know, like you'll get better at speaking the more you do it, and right. the more people say, "I didn't understand what you had to say," or the, the more feedback you get, and mm-hmm. you realize. My point wasn't as clear as I thought in my mind. Just like with public speaking, it's the same thing. So I really advise people who are interested in any manner of creativity, especially within the realm of film, mm-hmm. schedule your own script. Schedule your own script. Use the proper software. Yeah. Really break it down. The more you break it down, like like Picasso, before he does his cubism, he could break down the elements of a traditional classical painting right? and as he knows those strokes or as a musician Mm -hmm. as you know this key goes with that key then you learn how to break your roles then you know how to get your point across without necessarily being boxed in and that's that's, as a filmmaker what we're trying to do and and just to tie it back into the original idea of these remakes and these reboots I think one of the things that's missing from a lot of modern filmmakers is that they don't fundamentally understand what made the story work, and yes. therefore they're just looking at the they're looking at it from afar, without really understanding the heart of what makes these films great. The reason the craft remake isn't intriguing or interesting to me is not just because I'm old. It's not because it's not my craft, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, it's because, or Minecraft for that matter. <laughs> um, it's because. It lacks the same heart that the original had.
1: Because you're not telling your story. You're retelling someone else's story. And
0: it's never going to be as good as the original. You know, you have to... Even if you're retelling a story, you have to put your spin on it. Mm -hmm. It's just like a joke. You know, you can hear a joke and you can repeat a joke. But when you make the joke yours, then it makes sense. Like, I can tell you a George Carlin bit and you can watch George Carlin do his bit. Right. And no matter how funny I might be as a person, if Jim Carrey told a George Carlin joke or um, who else is really funny, Uh, Maximini or um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of who's a really funny comedian. Anyways, they could tell the same George Carlin joke and it would just never be as good because it's not their joke. It's not coming from their perspective.
1: Right. With the exception of the blob. Because that is in my mind the best remake of any film ever.
0: But it's, it has its own feeling. It feel and plus it has Kevin Dillon. And as we've determined, yeah. what happened Kevin, to Kevin Dillon? He is criminally underrated. Yeah, he he was he was drama in entourage, long after his, the height. What of his, did we watch him in? We saw him in the doors.
1: I oh, started watching the doors. That's yeah, watched. another he, good movie if you haven't seen that.
0: Yeah, he played remember he, Val Kilmer. Yeah, he played the well, jo, Val Kilmer. He had throat cancer. He's, yeah. uh, he's in rough shape. But he's making a comeback. He was in Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. Speaking of reboots. Was he? Yeah. I don't remember. But the key to a good reboot is, number one, tell it yourself. Number two, before you tell it yourself, understand what made it work. Right. Take the clock apart. Figure out how all the gears work before you put it back together. But put them back together within your own with your own voice with your own vision and number three and this is the most important part cast Kevin Dillon in your remake and
1: get Kevin Smith to direct it and get Kevin
0: Smith to direct it and call it Tusk 2 this is I don't know how many podcasts that Kevin Smith listens to I'm sure he listens to this one Kevin Mr. Smith if you will I'm I'm publicly asking you I only have a few episodes of this podcast left like five or six make make a sequel to Tusk and cast Kevin Dillon in the role. Oh
1: my god!
0: You're welcome. (laughs) Alright guys. With that, remember The Craft is apparently the best witch movie of all time. Kevin Dillon is awesome and Tusk may be one of the greatest horror films. It's not maybe. It is one of the greatest horror films ever made. And with that, thank you guys for listening once again. Remember to listen via... Uh, well, Well, however you're listening to this, but also iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud for all you mumble rappers out there. And until next time, remember, it's only as good as the effort you put into it. Put everything you have into it. Leave nothing for the swim back to shore and tell your story and don't let anyone ever give you shit off of it. So until next time, adios.